0: Our text for this morning comes to us from Romans 11, the verses 33 uh, through 12, verse 2. And specifically in the sermon, I'll focus on the chapters 12, verse 1 and 2. But the reason I've selected this passage is because it's, it's often referred to as a transition pac- passage. It's, Paul, in the previous 11 chapters, has been building the message of the gospel, laying out the gospel piece by piece. And in 11, verse 33, he reflects back on everything that he said. And in 12, verse 1 and 2, he begins to apply what that means for our lives. So let's read together then from 11, verse 33. Oh, the depths of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways, past finding out. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has become his counselor? Or who has first given to him, and it shall be repaid to him. For of him, and through him, and to him are all things, to whom be glory forever. Amen. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you, may be, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So far the reading of God's word. brothers and sisters of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. As we stand here this morning, we look out on another year, the year 2016. There's no doubt that all of us have plans and goals and dreams for this year. We may not be people who write them down. We may not be people of written resolutions. But we all have things that we want to achieve this year. And not all of those things are, are material physical things. They're not just things like eating less or exercising more or quitting smoking. All of us this year also have have spiritual goals that we would like to achieve. Perhaps, Perhaps we just have a certain sin in our lives that we want to fight against more this year. Perhaps we want to be more committed in our devotional life. We want to read more. We want to pray more. Perhaps our our goal is just more general. We want to be a better father, a husband, a mother, a wife, a sibling. Whatever the case may be, all of us recognize that we want to live out our faith better this year than we did last. And we all have room for improvement. All of us are capable of being a better witness of Jesus Christ and, and of what he's done for us. We all see room for improvement. And maybe we want people to see that this year in the way that we raise our families. Maybe we want them to see it in the way we treat each other at school. Maybe we want them to see that more in the way that we conduct ourselves at work. And I think we don't just see room for improvement personally, just in our own lives. I think perhaps we we look at the church and we see room for improvement there this year as well. Perhaps there's room to, to have a bigger impact on our community, to find ways to reach our neighbors and our coworkers and our friends. As we look out at the year ahead, the question is not so much about whether we want to change. I believe all of us want to change and to grow. But the question is, how? How do we change? And this can be a bit of a dangerous question, actually, how do we change, because By nature, when we ask this question, we immediately start jumping to to actions and activities and things. We talk about wanting to have a a closer walk with God. And we start talking about, well, these are the things that I need to do better. We talk about how could we maybe improve as a church. And our minds quickly are drawn to, well, what kind of programs could we run? Maybe how can we have a, a better social media impact in the community We're tempted to right away think about actions and activities and things. And that's not to suggest that these things are unimportant or irrelevant. But they shouldn't be the foundation. If you want to look at your life this year and talk about change, it doesn't start with actions and activities and things. But it starts with personal change. It starts with inner transformation And that transformation, Paul tells us in our text today, it is rooted in the transformative power of the gospel, and that will be the theme for this morning's sermon, the transformative power of the gospel. And we'll see that this transformation changes the way that we live, and it changes the way that we think. So as our text opens up this morning, we almost immediately come across this little word, therefore. And any time that, that you run across the word therefore in scriptures, it should kind of raise a red flag for you. Because it's the, it's the author's way of indicating that whatever he's about to say is, is directly linked, it's closely related to the things that he's been saying before. And that's exactly what Paul is doing here in the book of Romans. I mentioned that in the first 11 chapters of the book of Romans, Paul is essentially laying out the gospel message. He's building this giant apology, this defense of the Christian faith. He's hitting on all the, the, the major points of the gospel. He starts out by talking about the, the sinfulness and the corrupt nature of mankind. And he talks about the justice of God. He touches on man's inability to, to do anything For himself. Paul essentially says that man deserves the justice of God, and yet he goes on to explain that God doesn't treat us as our sins deserve. Instead, Paul says that God shows grace and compassion, and he shows mercy to sinners, and he makes all of that possible by the death and resurrection of his son, Jesus Christ. The book of Romans is all about the gospel message. It's all about saying there is salvation by grace alone through faith alone. And now it seems in our text here in 12 verse 1 that after 11 chapters of just explaining the gospel piece by piece, Paul stops here and says, well, so what? Why does it actually matter? And it matters says Paul, because if you accept my defense of the, do- of the gospel, if you accept my defense of the Christian faith, then you will begin to experience inner transformation. If you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, it will change the way you live. Francis Schaeffer who was a 19th century theologian and a pastor. He has a quote in which he describes the impact of the gospel. He says, as Christians, we are not only to know the right worldview, the worldview that, that tells us the reality of, of what is, but we are consciously to act upon that worldview so as to influence society in all its parts and facets across the entire spectrum of life. The gospel must, it must transform the way we live. In our passage, Paul begins to to offer some practical outline as to what that change looks like. He says first in verse 1, that believers, they must respond to the good news of the gospel with lives of worship. Lives of spiritual worship, lives that involve offering our whole bodies, our whole lives as a sacrifice to God, holy and pleasing. And the language that he uses provides a powerful picture, particularly to the audience to which Paul was writing because you have to understand that when Paul was, was making this exhortation, not just Judaism, but all of the major world religions were deeply involved in rituals of sacrifice. But the issue was that for most people, sacrifices were just simply a routine that they went through to get the gods to give them what they want. It was just something that they, they did and you know, the, the Jews weren't immune from this type of thinking either. If you look at all sorts of Old Testament passages, you, speak, you see God speaking out against the people because of the fact that they're just going through the motions. And God becomes angry with them because he wants heart worship. That's not some type of new concept that we've stumbled across today. God wanted heart worship in the Old Testament, he wanted it in the New Testament. And he still wants it today. God is not interested in people going through the motions. And so Paul here uses this imagery of animal sacrifice to illustrate what it really means to lead a life of sacrifice. He's essentially saying just as this animal literally has to give up its life for the sacrifice, you too, you need to give up your life as part of your act of worship, as part of your sacrifice, Paul is clear that God wants our whole lives. This worship and only this type of worship is what God finds holy and pleasing and acceptable in His sight. Every single day, every hour, every moment of our lives, must be worship towards God. He wants it. And he deserves it because of who he is and because of what he's done for us in Christ Jesus. So the good news of the gospel it should make us want to offer up our lives as a living sacrifice. It should make us want to live lives that are different, lives that are changed And that's not to suggest this morning that this is easy. Paul himself was was intensely aware of how difficult it was. He lived in a world that was filled with ungodliness. In Galatians 1 verse 14, Paul talks about the fact that he lives in this present evil age. And if you look at his letters to, to the Galatians or the Ephesians or the Corinthians... You see him constantly warning believers against the temptations of this world. Temptations like lust and idolatry and greed and sexual immorality, slander, gossip, every other kind of sin. It must have been incredibly hard for Christians to live as Christians. And yet Paul, he's not afraid to say that you cannot have two masters we are either leading lives of worship to God or we're leading lives that offer worship to the devil. There's no neutral ground. And if we think about it, the world that we live in today, it's not that different from the world that Paul lived in. We too, we live in an evil age if we flip open the paper or if we scroll through our Google newsfeed, all we see are headlines about war, violence, murder, rape, scandal. We live in a world that is ravaged by sin, that is, that is absolutely filled with brokenness and with evil. Our world celebrates sin and it actually condemns us because we don't celebrate it with them. But Jesus knew that this was the way it would be for us. He says in John 15, verse 19, if you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. But as it is, you do not belong to the world. But I have chosen you out of the world. And that That is why it hates you. We have to realize that even though the world will mock us, our lives, our lives cannot conform to the world. We cannot allow it to dictate the way that we live. But instead, we have to do what God wants. And this is a major point for Paul earlier in the, in the gospel of Ro, or in the book of Romans. This is something that we read about in chapter six. Reading briefly from verse 12 and 13, there Paul says, "Let not sin, therefore, reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as members for, or as instruments for unrighteousness." But present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. It's a profound passage and one that we would do well to reflect on throughout this year. Now maybe you sit here this morning and you say, yes, you know what, that's... That's the life that I want this year. But it seems so hard. Well, the truth is that nowhere in Scripture do you see this life described as being easy. We have to understand that. Consider Jesus' own words in Luke 19, verse 23. He says, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross. His cross is daily and follow me jesus is calling us to lives of daily sacrifice lives that he knows are hard they're lives that will involve ridicule and scorn and persecution that will need humility and trust now perhaps you're sitting here saying well if you're if you're trying to sell me on that life this morning you're not doing a terribly good job I mean, that life doesn't sound great. Why would I want that? And you know, the truth is that in and of ourselves, by nature, we don't want that life. If it was just up to us, we don't really want to change this year. And that's why we're all so desperately in need of of the transformative message of the gospel. Because it's in the gospel that that God really teaches us the meaning of what it is to lead a life of sacrifice. And he does it through the example of his son, Jesus Christ. You want to talk about ridicule and scorn? Let's look at Jesus. He's not even accepted in his hometown. He's mocked by his family. He's laughed at by the crowds. Do we want to talk about persecution? Let's look at Jesus. He's beaten. He's flogged by the Roman soldiers. He's crucified. He has spikes driven through his hands and his feet. He's abandoned by his closest friends. He's abandoned by his Father in heaven. You want to talk about humility? Let's talk about Jesus. He quietly holds his tongue, taking in all the mockery, all the insults, and he simply endures it. Finally, you want to talk about trust. Again, we can look at Jesus. Here he is leading every single day, every hour, every moment of his life a constant life of sacrifice, And the whole time, right up to the end, he is simply looking at his father and saying, Lord, your will be done. It's not done for for kings or saints or nobility, princes. It's done for simple sinners like you and like me. People who struggle with sin daily. People who haven't done a thing to deserve anything. And yet, that's the amazing message of the gospel, that Jesus Christ comes and he gives up everything so that, that simple sinners like us, that we can have everything. And when we understand that message, that transformative message, well, then we need to live all of our lives every moment, and we need to see it as an opportunity to worship God. So if you're asking, well, how do I change this year? We need to invest time in the gospel to immerse ourselves in that message, to read it, to pray over it, and it will change the way that you live. Now, Paul also makes clear that the gospel, its transformative power, it's not just limited to to changing the way that we live but it actually starts at its very root with changing the way that we think. And that, if we look back at our text, essentially he's saying the only way that we're going to be able to lead these, these lives of worship, these lives that stand out from the world, that do not conform to the world, the only way that's possible is if we experience the renewing Of our mind. And that's because worship that is is true and acceptable and pleasing to God must come from a right heart, must come from a right mind. Now, I'm not suggesting this morning that that those who don't believe in God, that that don't accept Jesus Christ as their Savior, that they are incapable of doing anything good. There are people that, that go out and do Morally good things, even great things. And yet they do them ultimately for the wrong reasons. They're not acts of worship because they don't arise out of a a renewed mind, a renewed heart. Think of the story of Ananias and Sapphira in Acts 5. Here we have this couple that they, they go and they sell a field. They offer the money to the church they appear to be doing this good thing. They're leading lives of worship. They're, they're leading lives of sacrifice. And yet, ultimately, they're doing it for the wrong reasons. Their lives might have seemed to be transformed on the outside. They might have appeared like good Christian citizens. And yet, the text makes clear that they had not Experienced inner transformation. They hadn't experienced a renewed heart and a renewed mind. We should be cautious though, when we think of a story like Ananias and Sapphira, that we don't that we don't look on them with scorn as if, well, I can't believe that they didn't experience this inner transformation. Because let's be honest, if it were not for the gracious work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. None of us would have renewed minds, changed hearts. None of us wakes up one day and says, Hey, you know, this whole idea of inner transformation, renewed minds, I I like it. I think I'm going to go for that. By nature, we don't want changed hearts. We don't want renewed minds. The world out there doesn't want it. And by nature, we don't want it either. In fact, the the, the corrupt nature of mankind is such a foundational problem that when Paul is laying out this, this entire apology, this defense of the Christian faith, that's his starting point. Paul wants to get into the gospel message, and what is topic number one? It's the corrupt nature of mankind. Paul is saying there is something categorically wrong With the hearts and minds of people. In chapter 1 alone, he starts by saying they suppress the truth. Their thinking becomes futile. Their foolish hearts are darkened. They exchange the truth of God for a lie. If we look around at humanity today and we wonder what's the issue, well, there's something fundamentally wrong with their hearts and with their minds. And by nature, we too were part of that depraved state. And if it was up to us, we would, we would stay there forever. We're like, we're like pigs rolling in the mud. You know, it sounds gross, but, you know, we actually love it. That's who we are by nature. And then we have to compare that with the amazing message of the gospel, with the fact that 1 Peter 2 tells us about God. Being willing to come and to take sinners, filthy people like us. And he takes us out of the darkness and into his glorious light. The light of the gospel. And by the gracious work of the Holy Spirit and with the transformative power of the gospel, our hearts can be changed. We can change begin to experience the renewing of our minds so that we're no longer focused on our natural sinful desires, but we start to focus on the things of God. And this is another point that Paul hits on in the, gospel, or in the book of Romans. He, he touches on it in chapter 8, verse 5, this contrast between the natural desires and godly desires. He says, those who live according to their flesh they have their minds set on what the flesh desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit, they have their minds set on what the Spirit desires because the Spirit lives in them. And the Spirit of God transforms us so that we are able to start to test and approve what God's good and pleasing and acceptable will is. And that's not to suggest that this is, is a quick change. We don't, we don't go home today and pray and suddenly we have renewed minds. Instead, you have to note the language that Paul used. He talks about the renewing of your mind in the sense of an ongoing action, an ongoing process. This is a process that takes work. And you know, it's largely affected by the types of things that we put into our minds. So if you sit here this morning and you think, yes, how do I change this here?" You say, yeah, I do want to change this here," And yet you go and you spend this year watching garbage on TV, reading sleazy novels, telling dirty jokes, cursing, swearing. Well, don't expect a lot. There's truth to the saying, garbage in and garbage out. Instead, follow the practical advice that Paul gives in Philippians 4, verse 8. He says, Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is anything excellent, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. We need to focus this year on the beauty of God's revealed will. A will that's revealed to us in His Word. And it's a Word that we have easy access to. All of us have Bibles in the house. Most of us have several. We have them in the dining room, the living room, the kitchen, on the nightstand. The Gospel is right there. And so if you're looking this morning and asking about how do you change this year, well again, invest time in the gospel immerse yourself in that message pray over it read over it and it will change the way you think it's not to say that this year will be completely smooth sailing you'll have ups you'll have downs you'll take steps forward and at times you will take steps back but as you follow the example of jesus christ you will begin to be conformed more and more into his image. As you look at his life of sacrifice, you will learn what it is to lead a life of sacrifice. As you look and meditate on his perfect life of worship to his God, well, you too will begin to understand what it is to lead a life of worship. Your mind Will begin to be renewed more and more into the mind of Christ. You will be transformed so that you are able to discern God's good and acceptable and pleasing will as you follow the example of Him who was perfectly able to test and approve God's will. So, if we want change this year, let's spend time in the gospel. Let's pray for the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Let's follow the example of Jesus Christ and it will change the way that you live. Amen.